Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ricky with Babcock received a contract extension this week. And we all talked about the fact that Witt was tying his legacy to Justin Fuente when he decided to keep him back in January. No more. Yeah, that's a hell of a way to start the pod. Um, Yeah, I'm. So I wrote about Witt's extension and I tried to be as balanced as possible about it because I do think there are positives and negatives to it. Um, if you look at Witt's handling of the non-football programs, it's been pretty solid. Um, if you look at his ability to fundraise, it's been mediocre with maybe some upside over the last year. Um, the football program looked really good, uh, for, for, for two seasons. And then things have obviously gone down over the last three, uh, going 19 and 18 over the last three seasons. Um, so I, I, I'm not really sure why Virginia tech felt like they needed to extend Whit Babcock through 2029. Um, I mean, that's that's a long time from now. Like we could have two more presidents from, from now until then, like until Whit Babcock leaves. And this basically guarantees that Whit Babcock is going to decide who Virginia tech's next football coach is. And given his track record with Justin Fuente, and this was one of the things I hit on is that I'm not sold that that is a great idea. I'm not sold that it's a bad idea, but I'm certainly not sold that it's a good one. Yeah. Before I give my thoughts, we're presented by main street pharmacy. Probably should have mentioned that (laughs) off the top. So um, Mike was like, screw it. We're jumping in. Andrew's not here because he's on the road, which by the way, is coming to my neck of the woods. He is. I'd Um, see him. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try and get up with him. We can get a beer, but I, I didn't know he was coming until today. So, um, but yeah, go ahead with uh, telling everyone how important Main Street Pharmacy is to Blacksburg. They're giving COVID shots. So if you need a shot, go get one. I don't care what you do, but I'd suggest getting one. I got one. I think it's good. I don't know. If you, if you can get vaccinated and, and you feel comfortable getting vaccinated, then go get vaccinated. Yeah, I am and, vaccinated and, and I'm happy to be vaccinated. And go get it from Jeremy because Jeremy does that and a number of other things. They're right there on Main Street in Blacksburg. So go check out Main Street Pharmacy. They are they don't a treat you like a number. Podcast. Yeah. Like a neighbor. Treat not you like a neighbor. There it is. He's a massive tech fan. Yeah. Uh, Section eight. It's where he presides. So if you need to go find him. Also, <laughs> also at any drinking establishment really throughout 
the course of the season. You'll find him there. Um, the wit extension. So a couple things. Number one, Whit Babcock already. I went kind of looked this up today. He's been the athletic director at Tech since 2014. He is already the third longest tenured athletic director in the ACC. And the fact that he is tied now to Virginia Tech through 2029, unless, you know, he gets a better offer and goes elsewhere, um, there's a decent chance he will be the longest tenured athletic director by the time that rolls around because the ACC seems to churn through those athletic directors. Um, Witt has done a lot of good things as athletic director. He's hired two incredible basketball coaches on the men's side. He hired Kenny Brooks, who's been a great coach on the women's side. The wrestling program, he hired Tony Roby. Um, a lot of good things. I think the happened. main thing with that one is he didn't overthink it. I just wanted no. to put that out there. I thought I, I think it was really easy for him to overthink the wrestling hire. Agree. Agree. Um, baseball with John Chef, I mean, you know, they won some games in the ACC this year. That's, they had a strong that's start probably the, the shakiest hire he's made so far, but there is some so there is some upside to that, that things yep. are getting better. It just hasn't happened at the rate that everyone would like. Yep. Softball is a super regional team. The uh, two soccer teams are very good. So, uh, you know, he's nailed all the hires with the exception of football. Now, in Witt's defense, at the time when he hired Fuente, it looked like a great hire. And Fuente proved that to be true in his first two seasons. Now, like you mentioned, Ricky, he's 19 and 18 now in the last three years. Tech has now gone from on the ascent, I would argue, in the ACC compared to the last four years of Beamer to now kind of being exactly where they were at in Beamer's final four years. And that's not acceptable in Blacksburg. That's the reason why Frank Beamer is no, uh, among many reasons why Frank Beamer is no longer the football coach at Virginia Tech. Um, so I wrote it, you wrote it, several people wrote it. We said on this podcast that with Babcock's legacy was tied to Justin Fuente, his success or his failure as a football coach at Virginia Tech when Babcock elected to keep Fuente. Yeah. We knew the contract situation with Witt. Um, we knew what the stakes were with keeping Fuente, and we know how important this upcoming football season is. It kicks off in a few short weeks. Now with this contract extension, my biggest takeaway is, number one, Witt's legacy is no longer tied to Justin Fuente. So everything that we said and wrote, that no longer matters because Whit Babcock is now going to be here regardless of if Fuente's here or not. That's what this extension means. Number two, in my opinion, this gives Justin Fuente, I'm, I'm sorry, this gives Whit Babcock an opportunity to part with Justin Fuente if he'd like and take another crack at head football coach at Virginia Tech, which is something that we didn't think would potentially happen. We had this discussion about, okay, who says he's qualified to hire another football coach if he's missed on this one? That's something that we brought up when he elected to keep Fuente. Yep. This contract extension all but assures that Whit Babcock is going to be able to take a second crack at this if he elects to part ways with Justin Fuente, which, in my opinion, Rick, if Fuente doesn't win eight games, I think there's serious potential that Whit could elect to move on. Yeah, and even on the flip side of that, if Justin were to win 11 games, and skip town and, and Justin has a good season or two and somebody hires him away 
either way, like you said, Justin, or excuse me, Witt is going to hire the next football coach, whether it's because he's firing Justin or Justin's leaving on his own accord. Now, question um, for you, Rick. Yep. Does Witt deserve to have a second crack at football coach? I don't know. I really don't. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on it. Me too. And it's like, an interesting conversation to have too, because he's nailed all of the other hires with the other sports, but football again, looked good at the time with Fuente. Are we sure that he's the right guy to make the next hire as the football coach? It, it, it ends up being moot because he's going to make the next hire if he elects to part with Fuente. Yeah. But do we think that's the right decision? I mean, that's the question. I'm not sure it is. I don't, well, and Dave Scarangello, who I write with at, at DellasDistrict.com and who's a friend of the pod and has been on here before, uh, brought up a really good point when him and I were discussing it shortly after it was announced that given all of the 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 uncertainty and the tumultuous atmosphere that is college football and college athletics at the moment, having some stability at the top of your athletic department isn't a bad thing. Agree not having to worry about hiring an athletic director in the next two to three seasons is a good thing for a school that should there be some shuffling in conference realignment, Virginia tech could find themselves on the outs, right? Let's not act like Virginia tech is this stellar prize possession anymore. This is not the Virginia tech of 2005. This is the Virginia tech of 2021 where the football program has been largely mediocre for the last 10 decade. seasons basically decade. yep yeah decade so virginia tech doesn't carry the weight that it has so having someone who has experience within the industry has experience with the fan base the conference um isn't a bad thing agree that being said i think there is an argument to be made that wit hasn't earned this extension his the the drive for 25 has in, in some ways been a success, but in other ways it hasn't. I think they've done a decent job of bringing in some of these bigger donations. Um, but in terms of getting enough people to donate to the program to sustain a growing athletics department and shoring up their relations with the longtime donors. I don't think that Witt has necessarily hit the mark on that one. And I think he's um, expanded. I think he's expanded the donor base. I think that's a plus in his, in his column. Now, I don't know if he's expanded it as quickly as we thought, or as he thought. And I think that's more where the, the criticism would come in with the drive for 25 specifically, in my opinion. Yeah. And I can tell you just from, and this is anecdotal. This is not, um, this, this is not hard data, but anecdotally I've, I've spoken with some people that are longtime donors to the Hokie club and they feel like Virginia tech's fundraising department is a very small time operation. And it is not the kind of, sales-driven uh, organization that it needs to be in order to compete in this landscape. Um, the, the development of relationships just has not been there over the last several years between Virginia Tech and their, their, their 
solidified donor base. Um, Wit has not really improved those relations, at least from what I can tell. I, I could be wrong. It's probably dependent on a case-by-case basis. Um, but his, I think his his press conference last, or I guess it would be this past winter, that he decided to keep Justin, I, I feel like it was a bit tone deaf. And I, we talked about this at the time about how Witt did not commit to any concrete changes with the football program that would try to make things better. And instead he was just pretty content with running it back. Um, and obviously there have been some coaching changes on the rot on the staff with Daryl tap leaving uh, Tracy Clay's leaving. And he says he retired, but we all, we all pretty much know that he was told to retire for a year and then he can come back wherever he wants. Um, so wit it's difficult because a lot of it is is subjective and at least from my eyes i don't feel like wit has done a sterling job all around i think he's done a phenomenal job in the non-football sports uh but when it comes to football and prioritizing football and um evaluating justin as a coach he may have missed on that one. And we all may have missed because after 2016, 2017, we were all singing his praises and talking about how Virginia tech had had a damn steal from the group of five and that his two contract extensions and two seasons were more than deserved. And it seems like we were all on, we were all duped on that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm of the opinion that, if your athletic director is a major candidate for big programs like UCLA or Southern Cal or large programs, yeah, probably try to keep that guy. Um, that's not to say that he hasn't made mistakes on the football side. And I, and I think he, I think the, um, if you want to keep Fuente, that's one thing. The way that press conference was handled was poor. Uh, poor. <laughs> I mean, the the thing, the one line that stood out to me was him saying, "I don't know if this is the right decision or not." That was so and that was so bad. Now, and... I, it's important. It's important to keep in mind with that too that, fi- just strictly financially speaking, there was a large dollar buyout still attached to Justin Puente um, even though you know the amount of the buyout dropped after a certain date after the season it's still a large buyout that in a COVID year Virginia Tech probably uh, let's talk about this realistically probably didn't want to pay that price tag for Puente no, no and, 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 I, and you can't really blame them either it, no you can't and they would rather they would rather this thing work out and not have to pay an absorbent buyout and then try to pay another coach when your athletic department is like most athletic departments in the country, trying to keep their head above water in a pandemic. Um, I think if this is any other year, I think the conversation changes a little bit um, regarding Fuente's role. I think it's kind of the perfect storm of events where 
you have an athletic department that's trying to cut down on revenue losses during a pandemic. You have a large buyout that's tied to a football coach um, that you're not sure if you want to keep or you want to fire. But when push comes to shove, there's money tied to him that makes it really difficult to part ways. And a really interesting thing about the college football landscape in general is that going into last fall, a lot of people were wondering if there would be many coaching changes. And sure enough, there were, there were a plenty. ton of them. There were plenty. <laughs> there were plenty. Um, and there were, there were some big buyouts that were paid given, given all the circumstances. The one that stands out to me is Gus Malzahn. I mean, yeah. Not only did they pay an exorbitant buyout, but they fired him in the middle of the year or towards the end of the year. Um, Auburn is Auburn's just nuts. Like they, they don't, their, no shame. their fan base is absolutely insane. They don't care. I mean, it's just no shame. They're like, I don't you, care. You can if it's go pandemic. from like hall of fame coach to they're about to tar and feather you in the streets in four games. I mean, if you're going to fire, if you're going to fire <laughs> Gus Malzahn, I'm not sure hiring Brian Harson from Boise, Idaho is like the decision that makes the most sense. Maybe I'll end up being wrong about that, but that just seemed like a really odd hire after firing Gus. Um, it was almost like they just made a change for the sake of making a change, which is something that Whit Babcock did not want to do. Yes, if he wasn't going to be able to get his guy, then he was going to keep Fuente. And I think that's what ultimately happened. And then the, the money was obviously a, a driving factor here too. I think Whit and Sands were both kind of in on this, trying to make a decision that was best for the university and the athletic department moving forward. Yeah. And let's address the, the financial stuff here first. This is, or not first, but let's go make sure we include this. This is from the athletic Sandy Bitter, um, who's is about as knowledgeable as it gets on the reporting side. Um, he writes in the 2019-20 academic year, Babcock was set to make 1.156 million before COVID-19 cuts. With Kevin White's retiring from Duke this month, only Clemson's Dan Radakovich earns more at full-time ACC schools that have reported salaries for their athletic directors. So Wits up there. Yeah. Virginia Tech is making the financial investment yep. in wit. Um I I'm gonna admit ignorance here and that I don't know enough about all of the athletic directors in the conference to know if second is worthy. Um but on the surface it sounds like it's a bit high. Yeah. I Again, if major athletic programs want your athletic director, you know, and again, I don't know every single athletic director in the conference or in the country. I'm with you in that boat. It's fair to say that Virginia Tech didn't want to part with Babcock because they know that other schools could come calling. And that's probably why he received an eight-year extension, um, a long extension, one that, I, I mean, a four or five year extension wouldn't have shocked me. Him being tied to the school through 2029 is a long time. But again, he's made a lot of good hires with the other sports. Um, football is kind of a mess right now. And we'll see what this fall brings. But my biggest takeaway was that Wit is going to have the um, ability and the freedom to hire the next football coach if he so chooses. And that was my biggest takeaway from the extension. 
Well, Ricky, on the on the football side, like the actual on field playing side, we're like three weeks from the opener. Camp has opened. I want to talk about two positions specifically on this podcast tonight. I want to talk about running back and I want to talk about offensive line. What do we want to talk about first? Oh, it's Andrew. <laughs> There's Andrew. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? There he is. There he is. We can hear you, Andrew. About? Um, we were, we were about to hit on a couple position groups, but if you want to give a condensed take on Whit Babcock's extension, you can do that. Yeah. I mean, just overall, when it comes to Whit Babcock's extension, it really is reflective of the university's overall mission when it comes to athletics. I mean, I'm sure you guys have covered the bases, but which coaches in the non-revenue sports have thrived and have Virginia Tech's standing as an athletic department overall has certainly thrived. But it kind of brings me back to Mike's point earlier this year, how Whip Babcock has tied himself to Justin Fuente. And he's certainly a great statesman for the athletic department. He's well-respected nationally. But ultimately, if football is the financial driver, his overall success is going to be judged based on the football program's performance. Well, it's, and I think it's funny, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. that. Yeah, Andrew, it's funny that you mentioned that because what my – overall takeaway was from the extension was that yes I thought his legacy was tied to Fuente but I think what this contract extension allows what Babcock to do is take a mulligan on the Justin Fuente coaching hire and make the next hire if he so chooses now whether or not we believe that he's qualified to make that second coaching hire for football specifically that's another conversation he's been able to say that we, we can look at with Babcock's reputation and say that, Hey, look, he is qualified to make coaching hires. You know, we talk about the other sports, basketball and the, and the non-revenue sports, you know, softball, baseball, et cetera. But is he qualified enough to make the second head football coach hire? If he so chooses to move on from Justin Fuente and the administration says, yes. Now, whether or not we believe that he should be making that decision is a whole nother conversation. I think he's going to be, you know, he's obviously being given a mulligan. I think he probably deserves a mulligan given his track record with the other sports and how good the Fuente hire looked, at least in the first two years. But I don't think his legacy is tied to Fuente specifically anymore with this extension. I think he can kind of move on from that and cut bait if he needs to. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's not necessarily tied to Fuente, but in the long run, it is going to be tied to the success of the football program. Yes, agree. I, mean, I agree. Yeah. The guy clearly has the ability to turn programs around to make coaching hires. And if you go back to late 2015 when Frank Beaver announced his retirement and you looked at that pool of candidates, any school in the country that had an opening would have at least considered Justin Fuente. He was a guy that had turned Memphis around. He was young. He seemed committed. I mean, I, I guess to an extent is committed to the Virginia Tech program. And it went well for a couple of years. Now, you can blame other factors. You can blame Justin Fuente, the hire over the course of the last three years hasn't gone as well as certainly people anticipated in, you know, late 2017, early 2018, when national publications were writing articles. And I always bring this up, praising Whit Babcock, Virginia Tech, and Justin Fuente yep. as the textbook example of how to transition from a legend to a successor. Yep. Since that article has been published, obviously things haven't gone that way. But, but I see that, the university, Tim Sands, the board of trustees, has faith in Whip Babcock as the state's been to run Virginia Tech Athletics as a whole. So, yes, maybe that does afford a mulligan. I mean, the contract would certainly suggest that. 
what's your take? Uh, we're we're kind of diving into camp too. We're kind of transitioning into um, into fall camp. Uh, wanted to talk about two position groups specifically, and we were actually just about to dive into this real quick. If you want to stay on the phone briefly, um, running back and offensive line. Let's start with running back. Um, Ricky, you go first here. What's your take on the running back room? It seems like the the early returns in camp suggest that it's going to be some sort of rotation of Jalen Holston, Raheem Blackshear, and Keyshawn King, but Marco Lee is now getting healthy, and he's been put out in front of the media now a couple different times, and I wonder if he's going to be able to make his presence felt in this running back room. It's so deep, but it seems like it's three guys and then Marco Lee that seems to be the fourth currently. Well, it's deep in terms of numbers. Yes. It is not deep in terms of production. Proven in production. Of, yep. In terms of, of the amount of trust that you have in these guys. Um, like you mentioned, Marco Lee has been thrown out a lot. Um, and it, it kind of took me off guard because, you know, he hasn't done much since he transferred in. Um there's a lot of different bodies there. I'm not really sure um, what to if I can take that at face value or not. To be quite honest, um, we'll just have to see what he does when he's given an opportunity. My guess is he, is he he is going to be given an opportunity, given how much we have heard of his name so far in camp. Uh, I'm definitely worried about the running back position in the sense that I don't think there is a dynamic talent back there like a Khalil Herbert that can make those breakaway plays. That was one of the things that made Virginia Tech's running game so good last year was that Khalil Herbert was excellent at breaking off the big runs. And that's something that Virginia Tech has historically struggled with under Justin Fuente's tutelage is their big playability in the running game. And Khalil Herbert was an instant fix for that last season. Uh, Jalen Holston is not the big play guy. He is going to be someone who you can probably count on to get a lot of carries, but I don't think you can count on him to make a ton of that. In terms of ceiling here, I feel like Keyshawn King is the guy that has the most room to grow. But Justin, whenever he talks about Keyshawn King, it's talking about how he needs to uh, basically mature more and be more consistent and basically saying he's got some growing up to do. And we've seen Justin Fuente put Keyshawn King in the doghouse before, and I think we would be right to assume that he'll do it again um, if he doesn't feel like Keyshawn King is capable of, of being a, a consistent player. Yep. If he isn't, then I think Virginia Tech's ceiling at running back is severely limited. I just don't think they have that big play threat back there that we know of where we can sit here and say this running game will be able to replace the loss of Khalil Herbert. Yeah, I know King had COVID last year and then came in a little underweight and then never really saw the field at all. Um, Andrew, what's your take on the running game? Yeah, I'm going to jump in here on the running game, and I'm going to let you guys go. In the car right now, on the way to Virginia Beach, great people driving me right now. Matt Overholzer, Kelsey Thornton, some of the best people. Don't want to bore them for too long. But here's my take on the running back group. We know that what we saw from Justin Fuente from 2016 until 
basically 2020 with the arrival of Khalil Herbert was a running back by committee approach. Now, why was that? Quite frankly, it was because I don't think at any point during his tenure up to Herbert, there was that dynamic big play running back. And the running back by committee thing, which some have criticized as something that might turn off a potential you know, four or five star recruit that wants to come to Virginia Tech as a running back is simply just spelling guys, trying to get someone going. And but ultimately, when I see Jalen Holston, he, he's a big barreling guy. I see him as sort of a thunder running back. And, and the question for me is who's going to be that lightning? Is Rasheem Blackshear going to establish himself in 2021 as the player that a lot of people thought he could be in 2020 coming out of Rutgers with that big play potential that we saw against? Solid Big Ten opponents during his tenure with the Scarlet Knights. I don't know. He came into camp late. Obviously, everything with COVID and training camp last year was screwed up. It might have been, he might have come in slow. Who knows what his health was like? He may have contracted COVID. It's really hard to judge anything from last year. But can he establish himself there? I think the offensive line is going to be good enough to create holes for this team. Can Jalen Holston hit those holes? What are we going to get out of Marco Lee? There's a lot of unknowns there coming out of junior college. Will he be able to establish himself into that rotation? And how are they going to use Blackshear? Is he going to be used in the slot more often? I know someone on this podcast, might have been me, might have been one of you guys, was complaining regularly last year that we didn't see a lot of usage out of him in that role, despite the fact that what we knew from Rutgers, he has ability there, right? So I think the running back room is the biggest unknown for Virginia Tech on the offensive side of the ball. And the question is, is it going to be a running back by committee approach? Can one of these guys surprise us and establish themselves? These are questions that I don't think are going to get answered even week two, you know, week one through week three. <laughs> it might take half a season to really get a rhythm with how these backs are going to be used. But well, gentlemen, enjoy your night. <laughs> thanks, Andrew. Well, you'll, you'll remember you'll remember last year and he just he already left the zoom thanks for the drive by andrew for those who for those who are listening we weren't sure if andrew was going to be here for the start of the podcast and andrew was able to get in for what 10 minutes yeah yeah that was that was a hell of a drive by it was (laughs) gentlemen have a good night before i can even say thanks andrew he's already off the zoom um the raheem blackshear thing i just want to to kind of tie up the the running back point. I'll give my thought here in a second too. I wanted to make sure to get Andrew's thoughts before he hopped yeah. off the phone. Um, <laughs> the, the Raheem Blackshear point that Andrew made is one that I keep coming back to because I don't know how they're going to use him, right? Um, what, what I do like is that, you know, at media day, Raheem Blackshear said he's now up to, he's up to 200 pounds and, you know, he's still got his speed and his elusiveness and the the staff still feels really, really good about him. And you'll remember last year, Rick, going into the season, they were hyping up Raheem Blackshear and we weren't hearing much about Khalil oh Herbert at all. Oh my God, they just wouldn't, we wouldn't shut up about it. It was, right. oh, Raheem Blackshear is going to do this, that, and the other. And point they, being, they never ingratiated him into the offense properly. Right. And, and he, he pulled, I know he pulled a hamstring about midway through the year. And I do wonder if that was bothering him earlier on than they, than they were kind of leading us to believe but the one thing i want to mention here is that to andrew's point about we may not know the answer in weeks one through three i think that has credence when you consider how last offseason was handled all we heard about was raheem blackshear and then khalil herbert comes out of nowhere and runs for like 1600 yards or whatever it was 
Um, it, we weren't expecting him to be that guy. And all of a sudden he becomes one of Virginia Tech's most prolific running backs in the last three decades. So we might not know who the guy is going to be right away. We thought we going may not even year, know who the guy is going to be by the end of the season. Right. Like it, their, their approach to running back may change every week or every couple weeks. Right. Right. And, you know, who knows if someone like Taj Gary can, can finally find a way to impact the program after the injuries that he's had to deal with. Right. Or if any of these freshmen are going to be able to do anything. Chance Black, Kendry Christian. I love, I love Kendry Christian's frame. I mean, he comes into a program. He's like six two, two fifteen or whatever it is. I mean, he's got the, he's got the body already. Now can you pick up the playbook and how will he be used? If he's going to end up being a, you know, a Jalen Holston type running back, they'll probably try to, hold him back a little bit and redshirt him a little bit if he's going to be a similar type of back that's already going to get significant playing time. But, you know, Chance Black is interesting because I think Chance Black, he's played a little bit of receiver, a little bit of running back. He's played kick return at the high school level. You know, does he turn into the next Raheem Blackshear, for example? Like, that's what I'm interested in seeing. Is he going to be a guy you line up all over the field? So there's a lot of guys in the running back room and I'm just really curious to see how they're used. I think Marco Lee is going to have a role because like you mentioned, Ricky, I don't think they put somebody out in front of the media like they have, unless he's going to have a role. Um, I would love to see Keyshawn King get more carries if he's put his weight back on and he's at a healthy playing weight. Um, you know, for King, he's not that big of a guy, but I think if he's around 180, 185, you feel okay about it. I, don't think he was anywhere close to that a year ago, which is why he didn't play. And he's and he's not someone that you want or that you need to give fifteen plus carries a game to. Right, King. Well, if you're going to put him into the rotation, he's somebody that you do want to get the ball, you know, a few times a quarter, maybe, or you know, several times each half, and maybe get him up to ten or twelve touches, whether it be on screens or whatever. Change of pace but, back. Yeah, but he he doesn't have to be the guy that just runs, you know, ISO up the middle. Like he, he can be a guy that um, gets limited carries, and you kind of take care of his body for him since there's not much left to take care of. Yeah, what I would prefer is a a rotation of either Holston or Marco Lee because I think they're similar type backs, and then have Keyshawn King kind of spell them as kind of the thunder and lightning element, and then you mix in Blackshear and keep him on the field because we have seen the the potential. We've seen the burst out of him. We know he's athletic. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can catch it out of the slot. And I and I want to see them use him more as a receiver. Me too. I and, and you know he needs to be a receiver from the slot position. He needs to be a receiver from the running back position. But they need to get creative in how they get him the football. And that's something that at times we've seen this, this, this offensive staff have success with in terms of finding creative ways to get their players, the football, like, you know, the, the throwback screens to, to James Mitchell or Dalton yep. Keene yep. or the jet sweeps with, with James Mitchell or Trey Turner. Um, and at other times we haven't seen that creativity. It, it's kind of hit or miss. Right. And we need to see more of it with someone like Raheem Blackshear, who really is, the kind of person you just want to get in space and let him use his athleticism. I agree. Um, and I don't want to dive too deep on receivers because I think we can do an entire podcast on it because I think it has potential to be one of the, one of the deepest and most talented groups on the roster. I don't want to 
go too deep into it, but I, what I will say is Blackshear needs to have a role in the slot. And that's my personal opinion on that. No, offensive, he does. And so let's transition out of the offensive line, Rick. Um, in camp so far, at least through the first week, it, what it's looked like is Luke Tenuta at left tackle, um, Lasita Smith at left guard, Brock Hoffman at center. Not too big of a surprise there. Um, Silas Janzi at right guard, and then Terrell Smith, seventh-year Terrell Smith at right tackle has been the alignment early. Johnny Jordan, the transfer from Maryland, is working behind Brock Hoffman as a second-team center, but he's also been working at right guard as well, mixing in with Silas Janzi with the first team, which brings me to my first point, Ricky, and my first question for you. What do you believe the alignment will be on the offensive line in the opener? Number one and number two, will it, or yeah, I guess it can be one, one A and one B, will it include both Brock Hoffman and Johnny Jordan in the opener? I do believe that both Hoffman and Johnny Jordan will be in the starting lineup. Um, Vance Vice has repeatedly found ways to put his, at least what he sees as his, his best five linemen on the field. And he's known for forcing his linemen to play different positions in practice in order so that they can rotate more easily. Um, the issue that I think Tech might end up having is at right tackle. Because to be quite honest, I don't think that Tyrell Smith is the guy there. You mentioned he's in his seventh season now at Tech and he hasn't been able to nail down playing time consistently throughout his career. And I think that that's for a reason is that Tyrell is, is the kind of guy that you absolutely want in your locker room. You want him on the practice field because the players respect the hell out of him and he holds people accountable. Um, but he's not the kind of guy that gives you a ton of impact on game days. Um, I think Virginia tech is probably putting him at right tackle because he is a known quantity quantity because he is someone uh, who the players can can look up to and and try to follow. I mean, he he was a captain for a reason. Tech obviously uh, has faith in him to be a leader of men, and I think that that's why he's been at right tackle. So your your offensive line is going to look like Tenuta at left tackle, Lasita Smith at left guard, um, Hoffman and Johnny Jordan either at center or right guard. I'm assuming Hoffman will stay at center since you mentioned that Johnny Jordan has been working at right guard as well. Uh, Jordan at, at that right guard spot. And then right tackle is either going to be, I guess, Tyrell Smith is a possibility. I think Parker Clements is someone that has been mentioned as a possibility. I don't think it's likely given that he's a true freshman. Um, and Virginia Tech generally hasn't played true freshman, although Christian Darisaw was that guy. Um, but this is kind of the issue with Virginia Tech's depth on the offensive line is that when they lose all those guys like Walker Culver and Doug Nestor and, and Brian Hudson, outside of you know their, their top three or four players, they don't have a lot of depth ready to go behind them. Everyone is a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. Um, and that, that, could, that could rear its ugly head at right tackle. I'm going to float something here. It's something I've been thinking about. 
right. don't know. <laughs> I don't know what your thoughts on this are. So I'm just going to throw this out there into the wind and see if it sticks. Brock Hoffman is going to play tackle at some point this season, and it won't be because of an injury. True or false? I mean, it's possible. He's, I mean, he, he's experienced enough that he could probably handle the assignments. Um, I don't think he has the arms to play tackle. I don't think he has the length there. But tackle is definitely the weakest spot on Virginia Tech's offensive line because if you look at guard, they at least have Jesse Hansen ready to go right. who's if played. needed, who's going to be in his third season, I believe now. Um, so you have someone there. Um, and I'm pretty sure they see Hanson as an interior lineman. I don't think they see him as a tackle, although that could change. But I mean, it, it's, it's certainly possible. I think if it does happen, it's more likely because of injury, but agree. I agree. Um, there, I mean, you could, you could envision a lineup that looks something like, Tanuta, Lasitas, Johnny Jordan, Silas Janzi, and Brock Hoffman. Or or maybe Silas Janzi moves to right tackle, which is a position that he's played before. Right. Um, I think he's probably better on the interior, but maybe you move him out wide. So I'm not I'm not quite sure. I mean, maybe Bob Schick is someone who uh as a as a transfer is someone who ends up getting into the two deep. Um but there's definitely slim pickings at at right tackle right now. Yeah, agree. I, I mean, I think I think the tackle position that is in by far the biggest question on the offensive line because I feel confident in Tenuta being able to at least be competent at left tackle. He still has room to grow from what he's shown on the field. Lasita Smith is a pretty good guard, I think, and I think he's only going to get better. Uh, Johnny Jordan was a starter at Maryland for a reason. All he'll Big be, Ten honorable mention. Yeah, he'll be he'll be able to contribute. Brock Hoffman, as long as he keeps his head on straight, he'll be able to contribute. Um, and who knows? Maybe it is a situation where Tyrell Smith has to play a couple weeks, and at least you know that he's going to be capable of handling the assignments and, and handling the offense. It's just a matter of ability at that point. Right. I I'm with you. Um, I think the offensive line will be fine. I I think if there's a guy that you have to kick out to tackle, it's either Jancy or Brock, and Brock is the unconventional answer. Um, I love dunking on Brock Hoffman because I get so mad with his personal foul penalties, but he's a capable offensive line. He's a good player, um, and, and he'd be able to do that. Obviously, Vance Vice trusts him. The coaching staff trusts him to you know, be versatile. And, and they've mentioned, you know, at the media day that they're going to need Brock to be ready to kind of play anywhere on the offensive line because of the depth issues that have now presented themselves. Um, that the one thing that was interesting to me is Brad Cornelson and Vance Spice have both said at various points this off season, um, this summer in particular, that they feel much better about the depth of the offensive line now than they did in the spring, which is good because they were both pretty open in the spring that they were concerned about the depth of the offensive line. The fact that they said that, you know, the linemen have made strides and they feel better about their depth at, at each spot now, I think is pretty telling. And normally I'd say, oh yeah, that's coach speak. They just don't want to tip their hand. 
normally I'd agree with that, but they were pretty open with the fact that they were concerned about the spring and the fact that they're, they've come out this summer and said, you know, we feel a bit better about where things are at or the offensive line is, is encouraging. Now tackle is an issue. I think if there are injuries up front, there are going to be issues. Um, oh yeah. There, and, and, that is a, that's not quite as much of a, a, a match waiting to be lit as quarterback. Right. It's right but, there though. But one or two injuries on the offensive line would definitely derail things. Um, and the other thing too, that we haven't really mentioned is at least this is how I feel. I'm pretty confident in Vance Vice being able to put together a competent unit. Me too. I think he's probably either the best or the second best assistant on the staff. Mm -hmm. And he's probably fighting with Bill Tierlink for that. And I would probably give Vice the edge. Mm -hmm. He's been uh, there longer too. That, yeah. And, and, and given the, the, the developmental work that he has done has been pretty phenomenal. I understand he, kind of missed on some of those bigger offensive linemen that he signed in terms of Culver and Nestor and Hudson, but to get Christian Darisaw to where he was, to where he is now, um, to get Lasita Smith, who was a tight end in college. He was originally a, or excuse me, a tight end in high school, originally a tight end at, at tech when he first signed to get him to be a more than competent left guard. Uh, I, I think that Vice is definitely capable of developing guys into competent players. And I think we've seen that he's able to get his line at least to a point where they can be, they cannot be something that causes the chain to break. Yeah. I would say the, the positions that most concern me in terms of depth are quarterback, obviously number one, number two would be offensive line and third would be linebacker. But I put linebacker third on the list because even if, you know, Barno gets hurt or Dax Hollyfield gets hurt, Virginia tech has so many different options in the secondary in particular um, that they could kind of move and shake guys. I'm not really worried about linebacker and we can talk about that in another pod, yeah, but I sure. think that they've got some, some guys there that I'm not too worried about the depth that and they only play two at one time. Right. Exactly. Um, they they, they only play two linebackers at once. They go with five DBs. I mean, that's, that's less of a, less of a concern. Um, it's, it's more of a, um, a proven talent and production thing, which yeah. is the case at other positions too. We just talked about running back for, you know, 15 minutes talking about how there's a lot of guys, but, not a lot of guys who have a lot of bodies, but Virginia tech has enough Jags. They, yeah. they don't need any more Jags and I'm not right. talking about Jaguars. Just for those guy. who don't know the abbreviation, Jag is just a guy. Yeah. And Virginia tech does not need any more just a guys. I, I think, I think this team, this team has plenty of starting talent on it. That's not the concern. The concern is that if you have one or two injuries, this thing could be like bottom out central. Like, and, the and you know, it's winning. funny you mentioned that, Mike, because before we started recording, you you admitted to me that you were in that point in the off season where oh, you were there. starting to feel optimistic. Oh, I'm there, baby. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> and we're there. and and that doesn't really square with with the worried about the depth. The oh, no, 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 no. It absolutely does. Because this team with the starting talent alone could easily win eight games, easily win eight games. The issue is that we know that guys get hurt. And is eight something to celebrate? 
compared to where they've been the last two out of the last three years, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Two losing seasons in the last three years, winning eight games is, I don't want to say it's like winning 10. But, but see, that's that's the mentality that I, I, I don't want us to fall into I, I, as I don't, a fan base. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't either. I'm just saying that's the difference between Fuente keeping his job and not is eight games. He's got to get there. He's got to get there. And, that, and I think the only way the only way you're able to show that you're past the winning five games, you know, winning five games, you know, a few years ago and really having to just like schedule Marshall like on a Wednesday to get your sixth win and then ultimately losing the bowl game you get to. Like the only way to avoid falling into that trap is to put together consistently good recruiting classes, which Virginia Tech has not done, right? But this class right now on paper with who it's verbally committed looks better. And I think if you're able to get those guys signed on the dotted line on signing day and then win eight games and you're able to say to the next class of recruits, look at all these really nice facilities, then I think you can get things moving back in a good direction. That's the, I, I think that's the only way to do it. I don't think Virginia Tech is, is in a spot right now, and this is because of the coaching staff and their failings for the last few years. I don't think they're in a spot right now where we can just expect them to win eight, which sucks, and, and they shouldn't be in that spot, but it's the reality of the situation right now. I think that the talent that we're aware of that we've seen play consistently is enough to get them eight games. Now, if Burmeister ends up being a better quarterback than we think he is and a running back emerges and the defense, which wasn't very good last year, by the way, takes a a huge step forward with a regular off season with second year defensive coordinator, Justin Hamilton, then all of a sudden we're looking at this team a little bit differently, but there are a lot of ifs there, Rick. And I don't know what things are going to look like two months from now, but I know we'll know a heck of a lot more about this team by mid-October, given the way the schedule lays out. And the fact that Vegas has the over-under for Virginia Tech around seven or seven and a half tells you everything that you need to know about the state of the football program right now. Eight is not the expectation, right? But I think given where the program is right now, I think that Whit Babcock would be able to go to the donors that be, and he'd be able to sell them on eight wins with Fuente. Anything less than that, especially with losses to West Virginia and or UVA, Fuente's gone. Um, so I went down a rabbit hole there, but all that to say is I get I get optimistic around August. <laughs> short. Start, start putting it in your calendar that's right <laughs> every that's right. year yeah mike gets optimistic in august yeah but i um, I, I agree with you on, on your point about vice real quick though i i agree i mean yeah he's he's earned the benefit of the doubt even with transfers and guys leaving the program and stuff like that i think given what he's put together over his time in blacksburg i think he's earned the benefit of the doubt to say hey look he's probably going to figure it out yeah, I, I have more confidence in him to overcome challenges than many of the assistants on staff. Yes, I agree. That that's where I'm at too. So is is it a concerning position from a depth standpoint? Yes. Is it the biggest concern on the roster? No, no because Vance Vice is there. 
and quarterback is the question with this team and this team has not been able to consistently develop and keep quarterbacks in Blacksburg and that's been the biggest issue with the Puente era in my opinion you can never have a consistent quarterback either from guys returning or guys just returning and being good and I think God, that's it's every the year there's so many every new year. quarterback there's no stability at all every year um so that's the that's the biggest question going into the year I mean we'll we'll be back Rick next week we'll talk about other positions I'm sure you know there's media availability tomorrow I'm sure we'll have some some updates from camp we'll be able to get a, a glimpse of how the first week went the the team was off we're sitting here recording on Wednesday the 11th the team was off today um, they did not have any practices today so this media availability on Thursday is to kind of kick off kind of that second fall practice window for another week before they have a day off so um, we'll learn a little bit more of kind of how this first week of practice went in totality. I'm sure we'll have some notes coming out of that. We'll be able to talk more about um, other positions on the roster. Andrew will be back, hopefully. hopefully. If he doesn't get taken out on a backboard by the lifeguards down here in Sandbridge. Or at the bar by you. I mean, that's, that's, the, <laughs> other, that's the other option. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll do my best to keep him under control. Yeah. Um, hopefully we're able to meet up, but that'd be fun. Yeah, that, that would be good. Yeah. yeah. Keep us keep us posted on that. And I'm sure we'll have some stories if that happens. Um, Absolutely. Rick, uh, before we close out, anything else for the listeners? I know you got to steal my punchline at the end, so go ahead and do that. Rate, review, subscribe yep. to the Hokie Hangover. Follow the Hokie Hangover on Twitter. Um, Andrew is doing his radio show every day, obviously, with ESPN Blacksburg. He's doing another podcast with 247 Sports. Uh, Mikey is doing writing with SOS. He's getting into podcasting with SOS. He's got the BC podcast. Um, there's probably another like 80 different outlets that I'm missing for That's you. Mostly but... it. <laughs> um, but and then I'm writing it at Dulles District, obviously. Um, so follow the boys. Um, you know, we're, we're getting excited about the season, and it's just nice to be able to have football to talk about and it'll be nice to see fans in the stands hopefully and uh yeah i don't want to go down that go down that rabbit hole again um and you know the three of us need to figure out when we're going to go to a game Um, yeah i for sure will be at the opener um and notre dame in october i may or I may or may not have a press pass this year. So I'll keep you all posted on that. Yeah, keep me posted because I will have one of those. We'll be together. I'll be good. Um, Lit. <laughs> yes, I will be attending two games as a fan and then everything else is TBD. Um, but I will be at more games than I won't in one capacity or another. Fair enough. Cool. Um, yeah, Rick, I mean, you pretty much stole everything I was going to say. So we'll talk next week. (laughs) Later, bro.